Turn, if you would, to Mark chapter 12. Uh, we got to get the important stuff out of the way first. Emerson Claire Scarborough was born on Wednesday. Uh, that means we had uh, four, uh, two grandsons for four nights this week. Uh, they lived with us. Um, my daughter-in-law had an uh, emergency C-section. Uh, the first time we had a baby, we had uh, our birthing classes, and it was held in Dr. Boyd's office, and he made the comment. He said, you know, in an emergency, we can get that baby out in three minutes. And you know what? They can. <laughs> um, there's my beloved, and so that's number two granddaughter. But if you want to know the whole family, my college-aged daughter had to put together a presentation explaining who she was. So she, <laughs> she made a graph of her family. So if you ever want to know my family, you notice that there's one TBD in there. So he has not arrived yet. But uh, Emerson is on the picture, so that's my whole family. Okay. Mark chapter 12. We started a couple of weeks ago with Jesus arriving in Jerusalem. Remember, he cleaned out the temple. The uh, religious authorities, uh, authorities came to him and said, what gives you the authority to do this? And we had that discussion about John the Baptist, and then they started jabbing at each other. You know, he would ask them questions, they would ask him questions to try to trap him. In last week's lesson, they asked him about taxes, because there's nothing that'll stir up a crowd more than arguing about taxes, Right. And last week, we actually made it to verse 28, and I started into this passage and realized there was no way in the world we were actually going to do it justice. So I kind of jumped to the conclusion of the lesson, but we're going to go back today and repeat the whole lesson. The lesson is about the man coming to Jesus and saying, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, well, we'll read it here in just a moment. And last week we talked about the fact that Martin Luther struggled over this because he knew that he was not loving the Lord, his God, with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he was trying to do that in order to be right with God. But what he learned is that salvation is by faith. We are saved not because we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are saved because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. But being saved, we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. There is no such thing as, okay, you can be saved, now go off into idolatry. What that is, as I've said repeatedly, a red flag that things maybe aren't what we think they are, if we adopt that attitude. But, but we know we never do this completely, totally. But it is what God has instructed us to do. So let's back up and start in verse 
28 and get into this. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. The scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, they're all getting in on this. How do we attack Jesus? And there's this one scribe who's paying attention to all of this. And he asks a question. And just to jump to the end, Jesus likes this guy. This guy is not trying to trap Jesus. He is impressed by Jesus' answers to the other people who are trying to trap him, and he asked him a legitimate question. As a scribe, as a teacher of the law, he knows the answer to this question. In fact, he's going to agree with Jesus' answer. Just as a general rule, it's usually a good thing to agree with Jesus' answer. Just saying. Seeing that he answered well, ask him, which commandment is the most important of all? Okay? I put up on the, char- uh, the list, I um, mean, you know, on the screen, a list of the Ten Commandments. And I tell you, I ask you, okay, of these ten, which is most important? Okay? Not killing people, that would be a good thing. Not lying, that'd be a good thing. Love the, I mean, that, we would argue about that. Okay? We as human beings like to argue about things. And we look at the law, we look at the commands of God, and we think, okay, which of these is most important? And I suspect this scribe and his fellow scribes have spent their life debating this question. Of all the commands, which one is the most important? Jesus answered, the most important is... Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So that's what we're going to talk about today. The most important is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is taken from Deuteronomy. It is summarized other places. Number one, Israel, us, all of humanity, listen, pay attention. The Lord your God is one. First thing we have to know, there is only one God. And as I've said in here before, there's only one God and you're not it. There is one God and the God of the universe has instructed us how the universe works. He has instructed us on what is expected of us in that universe. And that Those are the commandments that he has given to us. Your life will be better if you do not kill, if you do not commit adultery, if you do not bear false witness, if you do not, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In my worldview class that I teach to the high schoolers, this week we read an excerpt of uh, Bertrand Russell's book, 
why I'm not a Christian. And I told the class, Bertrand Russell was a brilliant mathematician slash philosopher. But you know, when dealing with religious topics, he's about that deep. Because he argued against the idea that God is a good God. Because if all we do is say, well, whatever God says is good, then God could have said, well, you know, kill kittens. And we would have said, oh, well, that must be good. Not recognizing that what God says is good is a reflection of God's character, which is good. It isn't just some arbitrary list of things that he made up. When God says it is better to do this, he's not just making something up. He's stating something that will make your life and my life better. That's what he's done for us. It is a gift that God has given us. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall, shall. I had a discussion, if you remember, several weeks ago, several months ago, you know, in my previous career, I read a lot of technical documents. And if you use the word shall, that means you are legally obligated to do it as opposed to will, which is wishful thinking. You know, we'll do this. Yeah, if we get around to it. Shall means you've got to check that off or you have not completed the project. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Yesterday... As I mentioned, we had two grandsons all week, and I sit down at the computer to look up something, and my two-year-old comes and sits in my lap. So I Google on, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And what came up were hundreds of videos of the song. You've heard the song, right? They sing to the kids, love the Lord your God with all your, okay? There's actually several different versions of it. And what I thought, and so he and I watched a dozen of them, just sitting there, same song, different groups, Different just people in their backyard recording this. Just as an aside, this has absolutely nothing to do with the lesson. They were all doing sign languages, okay? Heart, we know that one. Heart, mind, we know that one. Strength, we do this one. Soul, okay? The number one answer was something nebulous like this. What was number two answer? Love the Lord your God with all your soul. I'm not making that up. That was in more than one video. I know, that has nothing to do with this. You shall love the Lord your God. Let's just stop right there. Why in the world are you here on this planet? Why? If you believe the Westminster Shorter Catechism, what is the purpose of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. You are here on this planet to love God. If you are not loving God, 
it's, well, you're in rebellion toward God. It's really as simple as that. God, by right of creation, is the sovereign of this universe. And we have been called to love him. Now, it's a strange thing to command love sounds like an oxymoron. You know, if I go up to you and I stick a gun to your head and I say, give me your money, that would make sense. We would understand that relationship. But if you go up to somebody and put a gun to their head and say, love me, that would be weird. That wouldn't make sense. But let's remind ourselves for the third time in this lesson. God has made the universe in a particular fashion. And what is good for you is that you demonstrate love and reverence toward God. God is not commanding you some, to do something that should be not alien to your nature. It is what you were created to do. So when God commands love the Lord, he is not commanding us to, he's got a gun to our head and love me or else. He's saying, live out the reason that you were created. Be what you were, in fact, created to be. Love the Lord your God with all. Mind, soul, strength, heart. What part of you is allowed not to love God? None. There is no piece of you. Okay, God, I'm going to love you on this day of the week. I'm going to love you in these circumstances. I'm going to love you with my right hand, but maybe not with my left hand. It just doesn't make sense. God being God, hero Israel, the Lord your God. The Lord is one. There is only one God. We are to worship him and not something else. So if I'm not loving God with all my being, I'm loving something else. And there's a biblical word for that. It's idolatry. Okay? Now, the question has been raised, though. How in the world do I love the Lord my God? Let's just pick one. Let's pick an easy one to begin with. With all my strength. How do I love the Lord my God with all my strength? Don't I need a little bit of strength to take the trash out? Don't I need a little bit of strength to change the diapers? Don't I need a little bit of strength to mow the yard? How can I give all of my strength to God when there's things that I have to do? Well, 
That comes from a problem in our thinking. This verse is well known to all of us from 1 Corinthians. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I know that by the time of the Middle Ages, a couple of words had become significant in religious matters. Those words are sacred and secular. The sacred were those that were involved in the church work. And the sacred power was, I mean, the sacred power was like the Pope. You know, I, we're working through in my history classes, the medieval period, and the church was very powerful. The Pope could tell the king, do this or I will excommunicate you and your whole country. And the people go, oh, we don't want that to happen. So there was sacred power, but they also acknowledged there was secular power which meant the king had power also, the king and the princes and the dukes and the, all of it. So there, was, there were two pieces of life. There was a sacred side of life, and there was a secular side of life. And I understand why they came up with this term, because there were two different kinds of power. The problem is that you and I have worked this into every piece of our thinking, When I tell you to love the Lord your God with all your strength, you begin to think I've got to be doing sacred things with all my strength, as if there were sacred things and there are secular things. So with all of my strength, I need to be doing churchy things. I need to be going to church. I need to be doing this thing for God. I need to be doing that thing for God. But what this verse is telling us, regardless of what you're doing, do it unto the Lord. How do we love the Lord our God with all of our strength? By doing everything that we do for the glory of God. And yes... That does involve taking out the trash, and it does involve changing poopy diapers. Wednesday, Thursday, I changed three poopy diapers out of one child. (laughs) Now, in Teresa's defense, she changed one, but it was really bad. (laughs) But who's counting? Never me. We have decided in our minds that doing this stuff, going to church on Sunday, is a sacred activity. We are doing this for the Lord. And then we leave the church building and we're entering, we don't say this, but we're entering the real world. You know, the real world. And then we're just doing things on our own. No! Every piece of your strength is to be used to bring glory to God. What does that mean? That means if you're taking out the trash, you're taking out trash to the glory of God. What does that mean? Well, it probably means you do a good job at it. It probably means that you don't complain about it. 
And you know what? That's hard. Because I like to complain about things. Just ask my wife. Now, I will add, though, that there probably are some things you can't do to the glory of God. If your chosen profession is bank robbery, <laughs> you're probably going to have difficulty doing that to the glory of God. There are things that may need to leave your life because you cannot do them to the glory of God. You know what? Those things probably ought to leave your life. What can I say? We are told to love the Lord our God with all our strength. What is our strength? Well, at its minimum, it is our physical ability to do things. What does Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 say? Present your body as a living sacrifice. Your body as a sacrifice, but it's a living sacrifice. What does that mean? That means I need to train that hand to do the things of God. And that thing of God may be flipping the pages of my Bible, but it may be helping my neighbor, next passage, it may be a lot of different things. But it's not just churchy things. It's actually doing everything for the glory of God. So let's back up and look at all of these. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. We've talked about at length in this class that our heart is the center of our being, our mind, our will, and emotions. It is interesting, he breaks mind apart into a separate word, but we'll go with it, okay? Our will and our emotions. Emotions are a fascinating thing. We all have them, we deny that we have them, or we at least deny that we have bad ones. I know I do. Emotions, we as a modern society have decided, well, that's the true us. Well, emotions, we're not supposed to get rid of our emotions, but emotions are part of our fallen nature just like the rest of us. We can have godly emotions or we can have selfish emotions. That's just the nature of who we are. It isn't like, our bodies fell, but our emotions are still righteous. No. All of that needs to be brought under the authority of God. Our mind. What are you thinking right now? It's an interesting exercise, the fact that you can think about what you're thinking about. And if you're like me, then you start thinking about what you're thinking about you're thinking about, and that just goes berserk. You see, I can put on a nice shirt and nice pants and my nice shoes and a nice jacket, and I can come in here and I can impress you that I'm a nice-looking guy, right? You don't have a clue. It's a stretch, I know. But you don't have a clue what's going on in my mind at any given time, right? My mind could be a cesspool. My mind, we somehow think that our mind is hidden from the world around us. Let me let you on a little secret. 
God knows what you're thinking. All the time. That's a terrifying thought. Our minds are to think the things of God. We actually had a discussion about this, if you remember, two weeks ago. The religious officials came to Jesus. They said, uh, who gives you the authority? He asked them a question about John the Baptist. And it says that they got together to reason among themselves. And we emphasize the fact that Isaiah chapter 1 tells us that God tells us Let us reason together. God wants to be part of your thinking process. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It all starts with God. When you start your thinking someplace apart from God, you're going to end up in the wrong spot. We talked about strength. Spirit is kind of, well, that's our spiritual being. That's the one that we think we're okay with. But what happens, just curiosity, if we love the Lord our God with our strength, but not with our spirit? Well, what we're doing then is we're having an external religion. Okay? I don't really love God, but I know I'm supposed to help my neighbor do something, and I do it because I have to, and... You think I'm doing good. The Pharisees were loving the Lord their God with all their strength. And Jesus said they were whitewashed tombs because their spirit was not part of the equation. What if we love the Lord our God with all our strength, all of our spirit, but we don't bring our mind into it? We end up with a pretty stupid Christianity or whatever religion. And I might add... This is actually what drives away a lot of young people. The church is not really addressing the questions. Now, I might add, in the defense of the church, a lot of them we are addressing, they just don't like the answers. Okay? I was telling Teresa on the way here, I was reading an article yesterday about a lady feminist philosophy professor who was fired from her job because... She would not accept the trans beliefs. And the people attacking her said to not accept trans beliefs is anti-intellectual. I'm going, what in the world does that even mean? Well, today, so often, we have adopted that to not hold certain things to be true, you are, by definition, anti-intellectual. Just to let you know, there are some really, really, really smart people who have proclaimed the gospel, who have taught the Bible, and I tell my students, you can ask any question you want. I may not know the answer, but I know somebody has asked that question before and somebody's answered it. We are to love the Lord our God with all our minds. We are to love the Lord our God with all our strength, soul, and spirit. But there's a second one. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love God. 
love others. Now, it is interesting that it uses that uh, standard of love your neighbor as yourself. There are those who take this as a command to love yourself. And we get a lot of this self-help stuff. You know, I need to, well, that may or may not be true. I'm not sure that's what this passage is saying. This passage is assuming that you love yourself, okay? I have some really bad days at times, but guess what? I still fix myself lunch. Or I go someplace. I, I still feed myself. I still breathe. I still drink something. I still do things for myself. Now, we know people who don't do that. We know people who dislike themselves to the point of, well, suicide. But we all know that there's something wrong with that. We know it's not right. So the fact that we understand what love for self is makes us understand what the lack of it, that it's a problem. So you are in love with yourself, and sometimes the scripture says, that's a little too much self-love, let's back off on that. But that's the comparison that is made. You are to love your neighbor as yourself. But you're going to ask the next question. And we know this because this is the question that Jesus was asked. Uh, okay, who is my neighbor? Now, I know what I want the answer to this question to be. I want the answer to this question to be as small a circle as I can get away with. Okay? I've got a house on this side of my house. That's my sister. Okay? I'll put them in my circle. Okay? I've got a house directly behind my house. That's my mother's. Okay, I'll put her inside that. I have a house next door. I have a widow lady that lives there. Okay, she's a nice person. I'll put her. I've got my neighborhood. I'm done. But they asked Jesus this question, and he answered it very directly with what you and I know as the story of the Good Samaritan. This nice Jewish guy is walking through the wilderness, and he gets attacked by robbers. He's beaten to a pulp, and he's left on the side of the road. Here comes the priest walking down the road. The priest sees him. The priest walks to the other side of the road so he won't be messed with. Here comes the Levite, and he sees him, and he walks to the other side of the road so he won't be bothered with this. Now, in their defense... They were probably on their way to some religious activity. And if you touch a dead guy, you are unclean for a certain period of time under Jewish law. And you couldn't let that interfere with your religious life, right? Here comes the Samaritan. The Samaritans were the bad guys. Okay? They were the people that were different. We hated the Samaritans. The Samaritan sees him, bandages up his wounds puts him on his own donkey, takes him to the closest inn, says, take care of him, here's some cash, I'll be back in a week, and if there's any more needs, I'm good for it. And Jesus turns to the audience and says, who acted like the neighbor? Well, the Samaritan did. Oh, gosh, bad answer. What Jesus wants 
is for us to ever be expanding our definition of who our neighbor is. It isn't just my sister next door, my mother behind me, and the nice widow lady next door. It's the person you run into. It is the person that is in need. But wait a minute. They don't look like me. They might be of a different <gasps> political party. They might be... <gasps> Let me let you on a secret. Love the Lord your God with all your mind and with all your strength. Let's just stop right there. How do we love the Lord our God with all our strength? When we see the beaten up guy by the side of the road and we stop to help, we are loving our neighbor and showing our love for God whose image is in that neighbor. What does Jesus say when he gives the discussion about the end times and he talks about, you know, you saw me naked, you saw me hungry, you saw me, and you took care of it. That's all I ask. If you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. When we are showing our love for our neighbor, we are showing our love to God because that neighbor is made in the image of God. Okay? Love your neighbor. What in the world does that mean? Well, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, we've got a very good definition of that. Ooh! 1 Corinthians 13. Now, you're thinking this is talking about you and your spouse, you and your children, you and the nice people around you. No. This is the love we're supposed to show. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own ways. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But Kyle, that will never, ever, ever work out in the real world. And you know what? You may be right. It's a fallen world. And when Jesus loved the unlovable in his society, people mocked him. They said, are you nuts? You've got tax collectors over for dinner. Do you know the profession of that woman that just washed your feet? Do you know Jesus who's hanging around with you? And Jesus said, well, yeah. I didn't call them to call those who think they've got their act together. This is why we look at the love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, and we either quickly figure out a way to dismiss it, we quickly try to find a way to shrink it because we know we can't do it. We know we can't do it as a means of salvation, and that's true, and God took care of that. But the thing to remember is that you can't do this without the presence of God in your life.
but you don't understand. That coworker of mine, they believe, fill in the blank. I'm not even going to tell you what they believe. This doesn't say you have to agree with what they believe. That's not on the list, I don't think. Love says your neighbor is right even when you know he's wrong. Nope, that's not on the list. All we're called to do is to love them, regardless. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all your heart and with all the understanding and with all your strength and to love one neighbor as yourself is, more, is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. You know, right, that God told the people to give the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And you also know that by the time we got to the uh, prophets, the prophets were telling the people, forget the stupid sacrifices. If you're going to be a hypocrite and not demonstrate love, forget it. You answered rightly. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. I really like this next sentence. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. He's going to ask them a few more questions. He's not done yet. But they're done. They know that they've been outclassed. Why? They know that Jesus, as a human and as God, does in fact love the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he loves his neighbor as himself. And at this point, they're not worried that they're going to trap him or not trap him. They're going to worry that people are going to see that he is, in fact, the Messiah. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us the opportunity to worship you. I pray, Lord, that you would teach each of us how to love you and to love our neighbors. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.